welcome to episode seven of the Cynical Challenge podcast. My name is Grayson Knudsen. Pleased to be joining you from Edmonton, Alberta. Also, as always, joined by my cohorts. We start with Jeff Paulus in St. Albert. JP, a little t-shirt action and the weather's nice. Yeah, you're rocking something a little warmer now. Yeah, you have to. It's beautiful now. Um, ish. Yeah, it, I, I was out in shorts today. So, I mean. Real. Nice. Yeah. Ah, wow, 10 degrees. The sun was out. Can't complain. Uh, yeah. In Saskatoon, Jeff Salisbury, how's the weather down there? Yeah, really good. I think it hit plus two, maybe at some point this afternoon. It's gotten warm enough that all the snow is melting off the roof of my condo complex and pooling in front of my door and turning into ice overnight. So perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Great for the ankle in the morning. Yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Why don't we just jump right into things? Um, Big news day in the Canadian Premier League uh, for Jeff C bringing back Tristan Borges, the 2019 Canadian Premier League MVP. Uh, if you saw the teaser on Thursday from Forge, uh, you wouldn't be surprised that it's Borges. It seemed pretty obvious. Um, it's going to be a full season loan as he comes back from his club in Belgium. He's still under that contract until June of 2022. So a full season loan, uh, Tristan Borges back with Forge. If they weren't the favorites before, Sally, they definitely are now. Oh, for sure. He's, I mean... Let's look at it this way. He ran into really bad luck over in, in Belgium. He got signed by one manager. Then that manager got turfed. They brought a new manager in who t- completely froze him out. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if he was in there. They're 18 most of the time, let alone, uh, let alone an 11. I think he had a run of maybe a couple of games early on and then just seemed to quickly be uh, pushed out of the squad completely. In fact, I think he was, training with their with their reserves or with one of their youth teams even he had some he had four appearances last year before the, the epidemic came through and then they got promoted to the first division in belgium yeah. and he hasn't played since they played 29 games actually their last regular season game is tomorrow before they go into playoffs uh ohl i'm not going to try to pronounce the, the club name because it's Living. out of my league but uh yeah it's so living. they're they're seventh in the table right now so they should qualify for that second group of playoffs so I mean, at the end of the day, it's hard. You know, we want to, we want so bad as Canadians and we want so bad to, to be supporting the players in this league that we can succeed here and just go overseas and, and get a job, you know, playing in, in big leagues in Europe. And, and the reality is, it's difficult. And, um, you know, their, their player base is much, is much bigger. Um, there's all sorts of reasons for it, you know, and, but I, I like what they've done here. I think this works for all parties, all three parties. I think it works for the club overseas. I think it works for Forge. Obviously, it works for Forge. They're getting the MVP, and they're and they're def- two-time defending champs, and they're bringing a 2019 MVP back to this the same roster. Um, and it certainly works for for Borges. So, yeah, really, really smart move. Um, what I mean, what do you say about it? It's it's the best team getting better. I'm just a little oh, interested in before you jump in, Sally. I'm just wondering yeah. why. Borges is maybe not on the that Olympic provisional roster. He's not on the 50-man roster, and it's not a Belgium thing because there's uh, Charles-Andres Brim, who plays in Belgium as well, is on that roster. So you'd think if he was good enough, even if he didn't think he was going to play, you'd put him on the 50-man roster before you cut it to 20, but he's not on there. Anyways, maybe he just fell off the, ra- the radar because he has been in camps with Canada. Did he get a cap uh, last January when they played Bermuda? Yes. Yeah? yeah? He did. In fact, yeah. I... He, yeah, I'm trying to remember if it was Bermuda or even the Iceland match that he might have also featured in for a little bit too, but uh, he definitely had a cap against right. Bermuda. 
Um, but yeah, I, I don't like, I don't, I don't buy the idea that he's not good enough. Um, Cause I genuinely do think he is good enough. I mean, he was heads and tails, the best player in the league in the first season when he was on the pitch for forge, they were a totally different team. The, what they could do, what they could create was completely different than when he wasn't on the pitch for them. So, I mean, I really do think that it was unfortunate luck in his case in that, that managerial change happened uh, with, with, uh, with Levin and um, in that he just, I don't know. I don't know. Something, something about uh, that new manager just, he, did, he didn't like Borges for some reason. And, tried to send him away as quickly as possible. I mean, uh, I, I mean, why would they have picked him up? I mean, they, they were a club that was most likely going to be getting promoted anyway. And I think had, had COVID not hit, they were already sitting in a, in a promotion position. They just had to play that, that playoff game, I think because of the pandemic, if, if, I, if memory serves me right, but either way, um, why would they even bother bringing him over to a side that's looking at, at already almost guaranteed promotion? to just suddenly shuffle him down into playing with, I think it was beyond the reserves. I think he was actually training with their, their U 21 squad or U 23 squad or something like that. And that was it. Um, and when it comes to the Olympic roster, I think it really just boils down to him not having seen any active minutes for so long. Um, yeah. He had those four, that run of four matches in a row. Uh, and there were, I remember reading some of the match reports and he was getting some praise. I think, the first first match, he was maybe probably still getting used to things and it didn't go as well. But then the second, third, and fourth matches, he was starting to get some praise for for his play. And I, he, I want to say he even assisted on a goal um, in one of those first four games too, where they praised him on his vision for picking the pass. So, you know, just really unfortunate luck. I still think he's a player that's going to end up uh, either making his way overseas again or maybe even uh, depending on his performance this year, um, finding his way to, to MLS. So 109 minutes uh, was Borges's total with uh, that team uh, in that season before the, the pandemic JP, there's been a lot of cries about, well, how can Forge possibly find this in their cap? But this is a loan move. And you think that OHL is probably paying a majority of his, of his salary, aren't they? Yeah, there's a good possibility for that. It's not unheard of. I mean, there's free loans all the time. You know, especially when the, the, the player, the, the club, when the club that's receiving a player is, is potentially guaranteeing minutes, um, it's more likely that that loan could be free. You know, if it's not that case, they might ask for you to cover some of the salary, but this could be a situation where it is free loan. And, and again, though, but, but Forges, you know, I don't have, I'm not privy to their books. I'm not privy to their, to what their players make. But what I can tell you is that this is an extremely well-run organization that, that manages its cap. Um very, very well, you know, and, and I can, I can say that quite openly without knowing the numbers because they've managed to retain a majority of their roster that where you're seeing a lot of turnover everywhere else, because maybe players are wanting more money, asking to go out clubs no longer afford certain players. So you're seeing players change organizations. You don't see that with forge players. They stay there. They're not leaving. The, they're not leaving to other, uh, other teams within this league. Uh, I think that's a great indicator of the job they've done um, to keep a roster happy. Um, uh, yeah. And, and um obviously to keep under budget. So this, this is a good looking team, you know, and the longer, the longer our roster stays together, we talk about communication and as, as we're growing up, you hear, you know, you must make communication, eye contact, all these things, but you know, at the highest levels, communication is best when it's nonverbal and you only get that when you play together for a long time. And uh, that's what this team will bring here in year three. So yeah, they will be a fun one to watch. 
Yeah, you have to assume now that Forge is, is front runner once again. I mean, but that to me, that is how big of an impact impact player Borges is. He's an X factor, in my opinion. He is a player that will once again help lead them to to a third title in a row. I, uh, I you know unless you know unless some of the internationals that let's say York United have brought in are absolute world beaters for this league. Uh, I just don't think anybody in the league has the quality on the pitch now to be able to to dethrone forge this season. So um, a, a thought just popped in my mind and uh, I just wanted to explore it real quick. Um, there's been chatter online about, uh, you know, how long is it going to be before we see a CPL manager move up kind of like how you, you want to see the players obviously moving up and on to, to larger leagues. So Jeff, this is a little bit more directed at you. How long do you think it's going to be before we see um, a, a current or even future CPL manager move up to a managerial role in a, a bigger league, whether it's MLS or potentially somewhere overseas, obviously not the move that you made, but maybe somewhere a little higher up on the chain. <laughs> yeah. A different one. Yeah. Depending on this year, you could see some very similar moves to mine. Um, I, I still think you need a bigger body of work. I think that um, some managers are getting, you know, certainly that they, they had some experiences coming into the league, whether it's PDL, or whatever, but, but it's, this league is it's one season you know, you take away the tournament and you throw that out, honestly, even on my situation, I'm not trying to protect myself, um, but it's, it's seven games, you know, and, and you're making a decision on players and se- on managers in seven games when managers can't control injuries, you can't control lack of training time, preparation time. So, so you, you take that, you throw it out. Uh, we have one, we have one, uh, one year under us. So these managers have one year um, to, to impress ownership groups just not enough time. I mean, Mark DeSantos, you look at his pathway uh, to MLS and it was, it was a long path um, that, that started off in Brazil before it came back here into Ottawa um, and then down at Swoop Park. And then obviously to San Francisco, he achieved success at every level. And I think that's what will be need to be. That's what's going to need to be shown here from some of these managers is that they continue with consistency, uh, bigger body of work. And then some, of course, why wouldn't they get a shot? You know, you look at the work they're doing, uh, throughout the league. So, yeah. So do you think, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, so do you think that um, we might see a, a managerial move in the future, uh, more like a CPL manager taking over at a, a USL championship club rather than potentially seeing the move right up into say like an MLS uh head head uh, coach position instead and by the way something's gone wonky with your headset so you yeah that's to... what i was gonna say just try to unplug mean? your headset and yeah and plug it back in type of thing oh really have you unplugged, it, unplugged it back in <laughs> the old engineer's trick that was it, anytime you call an engineer the first thing you say plug it or unplug it plug it back in yeah how's this yeah. perfect yeah fixed it that's weird eh? how that yeah. works and they get paid yeah. what like 100 grand a year to tell you that i know amazing <laughs> um yeah, I, I think that the USL route, I think for the, obviously, when you look at the USL championship and in particular, the top half of that championship with those clubs, bigger moves for sure for a manager, uh, bigger budgets, um, bigger environments. So you would think that, that that would be a good move for a manager, you know, looking to move up. Obviously, we hope that uh, that becomes that here, that as the CPL grows, that we see those, that we see the management and, and the levels just kind of increasing with opportunity because our league keeps growing. You know, it should be our league's goal to, our league should be the CPL's goal to, to kind of catch that USI into the USL level. Um, and then I think these managers will be on their way. 
it is our league. We are many, we are one. JP, don't forget that. That's true. That's um, true. <laughs> another, another quick forge note. They also brought back Mo Babuli. Uh, two goals, two assists across 14 matches in all competitions last year. So more uh, offensive firepower up front for Forge as, again, they keep that core intact. And one final Forge note, Kristen Jack reporting that uh, Voyager's Cup final likely to be played at BMO on March 20th. Sounds like we've got a solid date. And if KJ's saying it, I'm apt to believe it because he's probably the most well-known and well-sourced and respected journalists in the country when it comes to football. Um, Toronto FC has been training. Uh, Forge FC officially hasn't. Uh, I'm sure Bobby and co have found a way to circumvent uh, Ontario's health um, authority over, over their training sessions. But as a team, they're technically not allowed to train all together, whereas Toronto FC's filled out the application, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's less than two weeks from now, boys. Uh, is this going to be a fair fight at all? No, not even close. Yeah. Not even close. TFC's already been playing inter-squad matches and Forge hasn't even gotten together as a squad once yet. That we know of. That we know, that of. We know of. Exactly. But still, I mean, you know, it's it, no, it won't be a fair fight. It won't be a fair fight at all. I mean, I, I mean, I, I wonder how long um, Tristan has already been with, with the team. Like, I wonder how long he's actually been back in the country and, and training with Forge. So maybe, you know, even though they're only announcing him today, maybe he's already been training with them uh, for the last, you know, week, two weeks, even month. Same thing with Babuli. I mean, you know, just because they're announcing something today doesn't mean that they haven't already been, been working out with the squad uh, or parts of the squad for that matter for a few weeks, month even. Um, but all that aside, definitely not a fair fight. I'm actually really pissed off at Canada soccer with how they've handled this. I think it's, it's been completely botched in my opinion. Yes. I understand that we're, in very different times that it's, it's pandemic situation, but uh, there were, in my mind, there were definite opportunities back last year where I'm sure they could have fit it in. In fact, I remember it was uh, either at the end of the Island games um, and where, where TSC uh, had a lull where they probably could have come back and, and played the game in the country. Um, and maybe there was another one at the end of, uh, or after TFC had been knocked out of the, out of the, uh, playoffs anyway there there were opportunities there that would have made for a much much better battle i mean david edgar would have still been able to have been involved i'm sure they've lost him i mean you know they they forge has definite question marks still um and tfc is practically bringing back an identical squad to what they had last year or so i would like to see tfc remember they were playing that almost round robin style against vancouver and montreal i would like to see them fly out to, to charlottetown for a game and worst case would hamilton had to do their North American jaunt uh, all throughout Central America and the Caribbean. Yeah. Surely they could have pulled up in Hartford and we could have heard Brass Bonanza once they scored on <laughs> Kristen Henry two or three times, right? Um, JP, what are your thoughts on that? Like, should they have tried to squeeze it in? I know they probably didn't want to play in Hartford because, you know, Voyager's Cup Canada, let's keep it up north. But are, are you a little bit disappointed or is this the best that they could have done? No, a bit disappointed. You know, at the end of the day, the um, the Canadian Premier League is is Canada Soccer's national league, where where Canada Soccer's domestic top flight league. So why aren't you taking care of it? Um, that's the way I see it. Yeah, yeah. no, that's simple fair. as that for me. It's got to be a fair fight, you know. Yeah. And, and you've got a team that's in court that that has social distancing rules for training, can't even actually probably get out and train based on their situation there. And it's just, yeah, it's it's not right. It, it's uh, if it's a forced game without any consideration of that, it's poor poor decision. Yeah. Canadian Premier League hopefully fast-tracking 
something with Ontario Health so that Forge can at least get a couple sessions as yeah. a whole, uh, provided they haven't, you know, yeah. circumvented everything and that kind of thing. Sally, yeah. well, one more point. You know, I was just gonna say that brings up one last quick little thing that is is quite glaring in my opinion is how has TFC managed to get the the green light to go ahead to be able to train as a full squad when when Forge hasn't and York United for that matter I mean you know they're they're in the same boat as Forge quite frankly um, you know uh, somehow TFC has managed to, to to get that green light and Forge just hasn't I, it doesn't seem like there's any type of fair playing field at this point either. So it's my understanding that each team has to send in their application to whatever provincial health authority uh, it is. Uh, the best comparison I think is looking at the NHL and the American hockey league, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, Ottawa senators put in their plans and they were able to go. And so you're like, okay, well surely that means that the Toronto Marlies and the Belleville senators of the American hockey league would be good to go too, but that's not true. They had to go and send their own applications in and get those approved by uh, Ontario Health uh, before they were able to even start practicing. So the Marlies and Senators, uh, the farm teams, actually had to play their first eight games of the American Hockey League season on the road because they didn't get uh, approval to play games in Ontario up until the you know too late in the schedule was already created. So each team has to do it individually i'm sure there's help from the league as well that you know helps to, to fast forward that process and mls is a pretty big entity when you compare it to the canadian premier league now of course well, there's, yeah. there's, i'm hopefully sure there's all sorts um, of backdoor stuff and whatnot going on but yeah sorry but, guys yeah. I was just gonna say hopefully it's not a situation then where the cpl has not come in and said well we need this for all of our teams across the board you know and then they've said no across the board because it's canada wide instead of taking care of the one team that actually needs it today right who knows yeah. Well, I mean, you'd think that when your owner is nicknamed caretaker, that somebody would have been more on the ball and getting this set up for you then. Yeah. Just to, yeah, it's, it's weird. And every province is different too. So, I mean, there's a whole thing. CPL put up a tweet on Friday, which is today saying that they had started their application process in October. And again, I'm sure Canada was, the government was just swamped with applications, that type of thing. But anyways, I'm sure that's for someone a much higher pay grade, than us to, to try to figure out. Um, quick note before we get into our next talking point, Stephen Hart, three-year extension with HFX Wanderers. Uh, good work for him. Uh, Going to be out there continuing to build what he's already started on. Good little base in Halifax. I'm sure the Wanderers supporters are pretty happy to see Hardy still out there. I know, JP, you want to talk a little bit about uh, a move that Cavalry made. David Norman Jr., 22 years old, uh, was playing with, well, was supposed to play with Inter-Miami of MLS last year. Got hurt in the preseason, didn't actually play with Miami. They declined his option. He's a free agent. Signs with Tommy Wilden Jr. and Cavs. He played eight games with Pacific on loan from Vancouver in 2019. What do you like about uh, this young midfielder? Sorry, my dogs are um, <laughs> going crazy here. You can hear it's unbelievable. A little bit, but... Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, this is um, a real good depth signing uh, for them. Um, you know, you look at you look at that roster, and you, you look the, the two players deep. I mean, my, I guess you know if I if I give any comment that wouldn't be a positive one, although I've been very positive about the signing for them is that they really do have now a congested central midfield with with very similar players. I find that their midfield are all very similar in demeanor, uh, the way that they're going to play. So, yeah. No, it's a it's a good point, and I would like to say I know we talked about Board just not playing, and maybe that's why he's not on the Olympic roster. Norman is 
he was the only unattached FC member on that roster. Of course, now he's with, with cavalry. So good move there by Tommy to uh, increase numbers in midfield. Another uh, news bomb, you know, those late Friday news dumps that people like to do. Uh, Sally, I'll start with you. Marcel De Jong, longtime stalwart for Canadian men's national team, 56 caps, three goals. Uh, he's hung him up. He's called it quits at 34 years old. Only played nine matches with Pacific over these past two seasons. Uh, seven last year at the Island Games. Only two because of that horrific Achilles injury that surprisingly he was actually able to come back and play two matches in, uh, in 2019. Um, maybe just your thoughts on uh, MDJ, Sally. Yeah, first off, a real shame to see him uh, hanging up the boots. Uh, always loved watching Marcel play. I remember uh, some goals that he scored for the men's national team. There was one in particular, I was pretty sure it was against Honduras and a friendly, might even been the gold cup. It was a free kick from a little ways out and he just got a hold of it and, and bent it a bit around the wall. It took a single bounce and, and went in the corner. And I remember watching it with, uh, with uh, the fellas down in Regina, the Kelman twins and, and Robin. My, I even managed to drag my brother out to watch that game. But uh, yeah, that was, that was Marcel who buried that one. And I think we ended up winning that one too. Um, but, uh, you know, ever since he popped his Achilles, he really hasn't been the same player. He just wasn't the same player last year at the, at the Island games. You could tell that he was a little bit, uh, um, he was a little off pace. Uh, I mean, he still has great vision. He's, you just don't lose something like that. But uh, I wonder if physically he was uh, maybe not feeling the best, um, having some hard recoveries after games. And just, it was, his body was telling him it was time. So yeah, ultimately it's a real shame, but I, you know, maybe it's simply another case of, uh, of uh, underpaying the players. Uh, you know, maybe he's found a role that's still involved in the game where he's going to practically double his salary. I'm sure it wouldn't be hard. Yeah. Those Achilles injuries are just nasty to try to come back from, especially I'd say older, but like it happened when he was 32. Um, mm -hmm. you're, you are towards the end of your, of your footballing career at that point. And, it's just, it's really hard to come back from, especially uh, in football and basketball too, where there's a lot of jumping. I know some players have had careers ended, you know, late twenties due to Achilles injuries in basketball. So uh, JP, uh, you've had some experience coaching against them and, and, and seen the guy off on the pitch. So uh, just your thoughts on, on Marcel de Jong here. Yeah. Disappointing news to hear that today. Certainly. I think he's not only a leader for that team, he was good for the league. You know, he's for me, he's like a Nick Ledgerwood and you kind of get these, you know, the, the players at that age that, that have really, you know, have been around the, the national team program for a long time. Um, they were they were really, for me, the, the leaders of the CPL. When you look at Canadian internationals that have come back to play in the league and help build the league from ground up. So you're really sad when you see those players leave it because you, you, now you're trying to find the next ones that come after them that that kind of hold them that hold or take over the, the mantle that they held in. So, yeah, tough to replace for that team, of course. Um, but I just think a loss for, for the CPL and for our fans. And big uh, with uh, PFA Can, too, as well. Obviously, lots mm -hmm. of work and getting mm -hmm. the union set up. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'm not sure what he's, what he's got planned, but maybe it'd be nice to see him kind of take over, you know, the presidential role uh, of the union and, you know, in addition to whatever else he's, he's going to do. So best wishes to Marcel de Jong on the next chapter of his, uh, of his life, really, as we move on here. Mm -hmm. um, next up, uh, we're done with CPL talk, and it is time to dive into the big rumor, the big uh, news. It, it's not really an announcement because it wasn't technically announced this week, 
but a, a long swirling rumor that the Canadian uh, Canada will see a division two pop up beginning next year, full time. And I know a lot of you are probably watching this or listening to this and thinking that, well, we saw where the original leak came from what organization. And there's a guy here who may work for that organization and he's just <laughs> going to spill the entire pot. And I know that's not going to, it's not going to be the case. Uh, we're going to treat this professionally. We're going to treat this as if, uh, you know, he has no knowledge of it. We're just going to talk about what it would do for soccer in this country. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, JP, why don't we start with you? Uh, Division two. Uh, we haven't had one really before. Uh, I guess you could maybe consider FC Edmonton, Ottawa Fury when they were in NASL underneath the, the Canadian MLS teams as a division two in Canada. Right. But right, right now we don't have anything like that. So what does this do or what would this do for uh, football in this country? Well, it completes a pyramid. I mean, the, the easiest answer is that it completes the pyramid. I mean, I feel like it's a bit of spinal tap where our amp goes up to 11 and we're not going to worry about 10. You know, we've got a, a pyramid that starts at Div 1 and drops off to Div 3 for some reason. Um, so there, there's a middle piece there missing. Uh, you know, this is, um, you know, I think anytime you look at uh, increasing uh, a development pyramid in, in this country, I think you have to look at it in a positive way. And, you know, there actually wasn't a lot said at our, at our AGM, by the way, you know, so there, there was more, there was more said in that little kind of comment by uh, an anonymous source. You know, I love this. People can't use their names anymore. Um, there was more said in that little, in that little tweet than was actually even than anything that was mentioned at, uh, at our AGM. So uh, a lot of speculation on that. Um, you know, this is, again, when you look at the Canadian landscape and you think of how are we going to develop more players, you start off with, with of course, you have the three MLS teams, but they're outside of our pyramid. Uh, they're playing in American League and, and, of course, playing in a league that's not interested in developing Canadians. So let's bring it back just to our domestic leagues that are focused on developing young Canadian players. Of course, our three MLS teams are. I'm not slagging them off. They, they've done more than anybody in this country to develop the player pool that we currently have uh, now in our World Cup teams uh, on the men's side. So I'll say that. Domestically, though, you look at the camp, PL is here to design young Canadian or develop young Canadian players, uh, bring back some senior ones that have been overseas and, and really build up something, you know, to be our highest level of play here. Underneath that, um, what we have then is, is the Ontario League One, the PLSQ, and there's a new league starting in BC at, at the Division Three level. Now, when you look in the CPL then, and I'm going to use my own example of this, last year, I, we had five kids under the age of 20. Uh, last year, you know, when you look at Prince, Marcus, David Doe, Anthony Caceres, and Chance Carter, and then you you look at also three of those are with us in 2019, and and yes, we were able to get enough minutes for for all of them a lot because of Easton and Garrett ate up a lot of those minutes in 2019 too. Um, but what happens when they're not playing? And right now, that's the question. What happens to these young kids in the Canadian Premier League that aren't getting enough minutes? Because that's part of their development. So we've got these 17, 18, 19 year olds not getting any minutes, or they get the bare minimum. Um, uh, just enough to satisfy a league requirement, but they don't really, that's it. So a division two league um, probably provides a place for them to play. You know, at the end of the day, when you're looking at how can these players get game minutes in, well, that's it. And then what's better getting a player playing game minutes in a division two league that's run professionally, that that's training maybe as much as the, the div one league is training uh, or playing them in the AMSL. Um, 
what's going to be better for that top player. So again, you just, you just look at rounding out a pyramid. Um, I mean, I'll let you guys jump in. I've got some, there's obviously, a, you know, you see a lot of social media and I can answer some of the, there's been some criticisms I've read. I can answer some of those after, but sure. uh, I'm curious what your guys thoughts are. Sally, initially, yeah. I just want to ask you as a fan, what is, what does that news leak do for you? Does it provide you with hope? Does it get you excited? Are you cautious? What, what's your thoughts? Did we lose Jeff? Stunned into silence. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear anything of what I said, did you? I don't think you can hear anything at all anymore. I don't think you can hear us right now, Gray. Let's talk. Let's talk some dirt. <laughs> Go ahead, Sally. Talk. <laughs> well, I'll say, uh, first off, before I forget it, I want to say that I want to announce now that I'm going to put a club into this new league and people are going to be like, what's this, what's this club called? And I'm going to say, well, the better question is who is the club for? And I'm going to tell them the club is for Jeff. See? (laughs) It was, it was bad enough today that Forge signed Borges and my ears started to bleed thinking of Gareth Wheeler going gorgeous, Borges. 14 times a season. Now we yeah. got this coming from you. Come on. Yeah, bro. I know. You know, I, that was I, over my I, head. I, I missed that. <laughs> Wait, just have to rewatch our episode, You'll get it. Jennifer, You'll get it. You get it. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, I think, uh, and was that original question actually for me and not, yes, not it JP? Well, it was for me. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I was waiting for JP to answer. <laughs> The show has gone off the rails, boys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You better, you better edit this one down a little bit. There, great. Absolutely um, not. Yeah, what, yeah. No, what, keep what, that what, in. What, That's what the first time he's been quiet. So, as uh, episode seven, first time he's been quiet. Keep that in the episode. That's right. Oh, Thank you, yeah. joke. That joke was amazing. So, uh, Sally, uh, I, just, I wanted you a fan's perspective. Are you? Fan's does, it, perspective. does it excite you, or are you? Do you have some cautions? Like, what's your thoughts? Okay, so. Um, we're going to start, we're going to start off on the cynical side because otherwise we'd betray our own name and the cynic, the cynic in me is worried that if there isn't already any type of relationship between the new league and the CPL slash Canadian soccer business, that we might be looking at a MLS versus all of the div two div three leagues that have ever shown up in the U S and we know what an absolute raging dumpster fire u.s soccer has been over the last however many years when it comes to all the different pro leagues and it's both men's and women's too i mean down there you just light a match and dumpsters lit blow up all over the place uh but uh, you know the cynic in me is a little is a little worried that you know hopefully we're not going to be um becoming usa north when it comes to how things happen with with the leagues below the top tier league so for the love of god i really hope that that there is some type of 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 um support at least you know and it sounds like there's support from from canada soccer it sounds like canada soccer is fully on board with everything that's happening so that that actually does give me hope that okay you know it's not going to be it's not going to end up being the U, the us soccer uh, mls some cabal that is controlling everything and stopping any other league from, from ever having any success. 
in this case, you know, Canada soccer is fully on board that it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, something that that's, that's going to be allowed to, to, to grow and flourish. Um, and then the, the other side of the coin, the, the non-cynical and excited side gives me hope again, that Saskatchewan is going to see a club. Um, because, you know, I think, I think the pandemic hitting and all that really, um, really threw a wrench into everything that was happening here. You know, Joe, uh, Joe Bellin is who I mean when I say Joe, uh, Joe had, uh, gotten things up and running with the, uh, the Sask summer soccer series, which I was fortunate enough to, to be a, a part of to some degree. Um, and you know, we had, we had the, that series of three matches a couple of summers ago, things were really going well. I, I know that he had plans on having a sent like a, an even larger version of that last summer. And it was actually going to start off with a friendly match between the SK selects and, and FC Edmonton. And, and, you know, Jeff, you would have been there and we would have been throwing uh, hilarious chants about your baldness at you the whole time. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the pandemic hit and it just derailed absolutely everything. We had plans we had the wheat pool was going to be right opposite of, uh, of uh, the river, river city Vanguard or river Valley Vanguard. Like we were going to be right across from each other in this, inside the Sastel center, the artificial turf center that we have here. And we were going to be able to just go back and forth with the chanting. And it was, it was going to be absolutely, we had, we had a TIFO plan that was going to span the entire length of the one side of the pitch that, that everybody was on. Like it, it was going to be, absolutely magical and then the pandemic hits and threw it all to shit pardon me i guess you'll have to blank that out um but uh but uh yeah so i mean the fan side uh really excited i mean i think this is the missing link if you will this is the lucy of uh of canadian football hopefully and it's gonna it's going to now like jeff said it's gonna it's gonna finalize that that professional pyramid league pyramid where we'll have the, those regionalized tier three leagues hopefully across the entire country we'll have the division two however it fully takes shape maybe an east-west split maybe it's a little bit more regionalized regardless and then we'll have the cpl at the very top sort of the golden triangle at the very top or at least that's the way bob young probably likes to think of it so um you know yeah i, I just think i think as long as long as the relationship uh, between all the different tiers um, and in a way that, that they're all working together and it actually creates that healthy pyramid, we're going to see Canada become a regular at World Cups in the next uh, 20 years, I'd say. That's what's going to happen. That's what it's going to do. You need a generation to cycle through is what you're saying. At least, at least one generation. You need two generations to cycle through, I think. Uh, JP... What does the relationship between the Canadian Premier League and all these leagues, which wouldn't be, you know, owned by the same groups of people, what do those relationships have to look like in order for something like this to succeed? Well, they have to be cordial. I mean, I think that's the trick is if, if it's going to work. And, and again, you know, I don't have any extra information that anyone's looking for that I can add any more to the conversations that are on Twitter right now uh, being talked about. Um, I approach this from a player development standpoint. You know, I think that uh, the communication has to be good between between the different tiers throughout, from tier one down to tier five, whatever it looks like. Um, but everyone just has to know where they're at and and what their what their reason of existing is. Um, Canadian Premier League is our Division One top domestic league. We know that. You know, everyone knows that. So Division Two, if that comes in, 
if that is a thing here in this country, it has to it has to know that its place is to develop players for the Canadian Premier League. Um, and conversely, then Division Three should be pushing players to Division Two or straight up to Division One. But but as long as everyone knows where they fit in this hierarchy, in this pyramid, then the football works. You know, and it's no different. I mean, you, you, it works everywhere else in the world this way. Everywhere else, and and here though we 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 let politics get involved, we get ownership of things get involved, and and it ruins it. But everywhere else it seems to work, and there, I don't think there's any disagreements in England about what the goal is of teams in the lower divisions from the Premier League and where they're trying to get players to, where they're trying to sell players to. Um, this is quite normal, and and it can work here the same way. And to go back to the one comment you made, Jeff, the MLS, you know, versus Division Twos, there was certainly an MLS versus NASL, uh, a bit of a controversy because NASL wanted to uh, compete directly with um, the MLS, but be kind of a European league. So wanted the European model and football around the rest of the world versus, you know, the, almost the, 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 the league controlled, almost not quite single entity, but almost single entity, kind of what the MLS was in as far as its governance. Um, so there's a problem there, but I, I would say that USL and MLS have developed quite a nice relationship to the point where there's either MLS two teams in that league or independent teams that affiliate with MLS teams. I think they've nailed it. It's different ownership groups. doesn't need to be the same, but I think we could look to USL, uh, because it's got every single level down. Now, when you take the USL championship, USL league one, two PDL, um, it's completed that American pyramid and they're good and they're better off for it different ownership mm-hmm. groups, all working towards the same goal, great relationship. Um, why couldn't mm-hmm. something like that work in this country? It didn't always used to be like that, though. And my argument is that MLS and some kind of beat USL into having to be like that in the sense that you know it became very clear that a lot of ownership groups were only entering into USL because it became a direct pathway into um, – having a shot at gaining uh, entry into MLS as long as they had the money. Right. I mean, the money is always what talks down there. Uh, but uh, you know, you, it never used to be like that because USL used to uh, have clubs. I mean, hell USL still has an issue with, um, with clubs uh, folding after only a, a season or two of existence. In fact, there were a couple of clubs that were looked at as some of the more shining lights in that league that ended up folding here in the last uh, couple of months. Um, and now, and then there's, there's things that have happened where like, uh, I want to say it's Sacramento uh, was, uh, I think it was mm-hmm. Sacramento was the club that was uh, going to be uh, making the move to MLS, but an owner, part of the ownership group pulled out. And now that club looks like it's in absolute shambles, Yeah, um, you know, and, and I worry, I worry about that happening up here because it, it feels like when things like that happen, it um, damages the sport. It like the sport in the U.S. I mean, there's enough money behind football in the U.S. now that it's more insulated from from really getting as damaged as it used to. But back in the '90s and in, in the early 2000s, uh, or from you know to the the yeah the 2000s up to 2010, maybe even a little bit into the 2010s, anytime anytime clubs folded. Uh, it damaged the sport and it damaged the sport in that specific market, you know? Um, And I think it worries me a little bit that if there aren't really good relationships already, and if there isn't that full dedicated backing from, from Canada soccer as the the national um, sanctioner that, uh, you know, I don't, I would hate to see us uh, fall into some of the, the pits that, 
has happened down in, in the States. I mean, the Yanks can go to hell as far as I'm concerned when it comes to football, but you know, I just don't want us to, to run into any of those same issues that they've run into down there. I'm hoping that we can learn from their continuous mistakes and, uh, and be better from it. And I just, Grayson, cause I know I'll actually play your role for a second. If I could. Oh, I, was, um, I had a good question. Always... Yeah, go ahead. No, do you? Do I, you want to go? I didn't want to like <clears throat> pile on the cynicism here, but uh, I just wanted to throw this out maybe to the both of you. There, let's be real. There's a growing distrust for the leadership group atop the Canadian Premier League. There is, whether it's from supporters, I, I'm sure the clubs are still vested, et cetera, et cetera. Is a division two too soon? Is a league like this something that could come in and usurp what the Canadian Premier League has done, do damage to the foundation it started to lay and, you know, kind of take people from CPL to this Div 2 and eventually be the downfall of it? Are we moving too fast is maybe the question that I have. Uh, JP, maybe you want to start. Sally, you could comment uh, afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, again, it goes back to, I think, my other earlier comment where, where I think when we allow and we have different divisions come into this country's pyramid, I think there's very strict guidelines in, in knowing that where you are in the pyramid. And I think that's kind of soccer driven that here's your mandate as a division two league. It's not to compete against division one. It's not to compete for players against division one teams. You know, it's, it's to provide the next players for that league and is to work with that league outside of a different ownership. And, you know, my everything about me, you know, my DNA really is it always jumps back into player development. And um, this is why I think I've lost weight and I've lost gray hair and I'm, I'm starting to feel better because I'm back in player development again. And I'm doing really good. what makes me feel good. Yeah, I'm trying. Thanks. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, um, so, but can we put a price on player development? So, where I throw that out there is, are we really, can we really afford in this country where we want to develop more players? Can we afford just to allow, you know, the one or two or three or 10 owners that can afford to purchase a, a, a position in a division one league to be the ones that are going to develop players for us. Um, so how, at what point do we say, well, you know, there, there is other avenues to develop players at good levels here. And it doesn't necessarily take spending a big money in an entrance in a, in a, in a, a league fee, for example. So why do, why did owners go to the USL um, instead of going to MLS? Because MLS had a $200 million price tag to join it. That $200 million uh, can sure go a long way. Not even to a, a fourth of that would build an outstanding uh, USL championship program, developing a lot of players, running a full academy. So this is where I think that the conversation goes to a little bit for me is, is I do think they can get on. I think that CPL, uh, we, we all need to support it. We, we need a division one league in this country to survive. We should be throwing all of our support behind this league and, and leadership questions and, and, and comments and concerns and some of the stuff we're seeing on, online, of course, and, and the, the union talk and stuff. Okay. I understand that, that people are unhappy about that, but at the end of the day, regardless on, on what we think of different aspects of, of, people, leagues, whatever, we need this league as Canadians that follow football to survive. And, and that's where our energies need to go. A second league coming in that, that is underneath that, that's helping that league survive because they're going to develop a greater pool of players at a better level than what's currently out there being developed, I would say, is good for the league. And, well, and they can work together. There's no concern then you, you don't think about, you know, peop- let's just say, okay, in Toronto, there's York, TFC, Hamilton to an extent 
if they get another couple of teams in there that are div two, you're not worried at all about people not being a fan of the ownership groups in the Canadian Premier League or at York or at Ford. Those are bad examples because they actually have really good ownership groups. But you're not worried about fans from those teams leaving them going to support this Div 2 group. All of a sudden, there's not as much support for the top level. Fans decrease. There's not as much revenue coming in. Those teams are in trouble. You're not worried about that at all? I'm not. No, I think that um, I think that's small. And this also goes for the uh, Ontario League One and PLSQ teams because th- those Ontario League One teams, um, I'm not sure this would be a lot different in the sense that the Ontario League One teams are, are community driven. A lot of them are club based driven. A lot of them have youth programs underneath them. So if anything, I think that these programs at, at the, the at the lower levels and the pyramid can be used to really drive um, community growth uh, for, for soccer community support. And then I think that support, cause now what can happen is if we start, uh, again, right now, so Ontario league one, and, and there's a lot of players that have played Ontario league one and moved into CPL PLSQ as well. But what happens then is, is if these programs are community based a lot, if they're in, in particular, if they're club driven, well, now you got, you got this huge group of, of families that, that have seen this kid come through their club. And all of a sudden that kid gets, gets signed from their club to York. I think you've gained fans. I think York has gained fans because this kid out of this club that they've watched grow up, they've watched play on their Ontario League One team, potentially a, a Div Two team. They're now playing in the top league. They're playing with the with the with, yeah, the big pros now. I think that creates a fan base, and I think that helps grow that league. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I'm going to be the cynic for a second, and I'm going to tackle what I think is a little bit of the elephant in the room, considering who one of the three of us is, is that if Scottish is is a club that ends up joining this Div 2 league, of all the clubs in the CPL that I think could suffer the worst from this is FC Edmonton. Because FC Edmonton already has probably the weakest um, attendance uh, than uh, than any of the uh, the clubs in the league, um, I'm trying to remember. I, I want to say FCE had the lowest attendance. I think of all eight clubs or all seven clubs. Sorry, in that first season, second lowest. Settle exactly. down. It's the, okay. it's the example I wanted to use but didn't want to use. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I hear it, but I think we have to. I think we'd be cheating our our hundreds of thousands of fans here if we didn't. Uh, <laughs> hundred ish. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think if Scottish came in, they have a massive connection to the soccer community in that city, way more than FCE has managed to, to create in the last decade. And uh, I do worry. I do worry that uh, D- Dave and Tom might see, uh, you know, great success for Scottish out of the gate. And, uh, I mean, they, they're already taking a beating in their pocketbooks, I'm sure, from from the cost of running the club, not only in the, the, the uh, NASL days, but, but now they moved into the CPL. Uh, and I wonder if, uh, you know, they just say, we just haven't been able to, to create that fan base that we want, that we need to make this uh, truly viable. And, uh, and, you know, we might have the first CPL club that's genuinely in crisis of, uh, of folding. And I mean, that would, that would severely damage the CPL for a, a, a club to fold, you know, and I'm not saying that, uh, that Scottish shouldn't have ambitions to, to, to have a, uh, uh, a, a, that tier of a team playing within its, its ecosystem. But, you know, I, I just wonder how much damage could it actually do? I'm full, I, I guess, full stop. I am fully in favor of this div two happening. I think it's awesome, but you know, 
a, a part of me is still a little, little shaky about the idea that, you know, this could do a bit of damage and there need to be discussions that happen behind the scenes to make sure that, you know, these elephants in the room get, get looked at, get talked about that, that nobody's feet are going to be getting stepped on, you know? I, and, and I think it comes down to um, another thing that's always needed discussions is the women's uh, pro game in this country. I mean, that's something yeah. else absolutely needs to have discussions. Uh, yeah. I know that Carmelina Moscato was basically in charge of looking at the viability of, of creating a, a women's pro league, at least at one point, one of her roles was that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I, I just feel that that's never truly been tackled. However, it looks like we might have uh, female components of this div two happening as well. So how about that for a segue fellas? Yeah, we are getting a little bit short on time, but why don't we try to quickly uh, chat about uh, the women's uh, portion of the div two, which I guess would kind of run concurrently uh, to, to the men's portion, maybe a little bit smaller scale. Like if there was eight, Western teams, eight Eastern teams on the men, maybe six and six or five and five, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's brilliant. We've needed pro, some kind of pro structure for the women in this country for forever. And I think JP, you said it last week, we were one of the first ones to start investing dollars into the women's game. And it somehow never wound up with a professional league. So this that's, I think I'm more excited yeah. about the women's part of this than I am about the div two men part. I'm my concern is that it might be too soon, but. What are your thoughts there, JP? Well, I should start right away is my thoughts. You know, if we've got the appetite and, and the will to put a couple teams in UWS. Um, so again, bet credit, all, all credit goes to, to Foothills. Of course, they, they started that with Troy uh, being their head coach and coach. I think Troy has been the only coach of the year and for the last, you know, he's won yeah. every year. And uh, now he of course has come into St. Albert as their technical director and brought this, this idea with him uh, to St. Albert They've put a team in here. Fantastic. We've got two. But if, if we can do this in an American league, certainly there's enough Troy Flannery's around this country to do this locally. And, and again, regional based leagues do not require a lot of money. They don't require a big buy in. They don't require a big league fee. They require enough people that have uh, ties to a community uh, because, again, if the fees aren't there, if the cost is way down because it's regionalized, you take away travel, a lot of other expenses. You work with universities. Um, you don't have to have as many fans come out, but, but I'll tell you, uh, when the expenses aren't that high, there's going to be the more, you're going to find more choice there. You're going to find more foothills out there and you're going to see an appetite to make it work. So why wouldn't you launch this right away? What are so the, what are we waiting for? I I guess is my question always. FC Edmonton started promoting, um, sorry, uh, spending, you know, uh, contributing quite a, quite a, you know, a good bit of money to make the women's program here work with the Rex program in, in Edmonton. And we started doing that in our second year of our Academy. We, we started funding the female program as well. That's a long time ago and nothing's happened, you know, and, and, um, to the point now where F. Edmonton's out of that market. So there's a place here for, for someone to take it up. So well done to St. Albert for picking up the mantle right now. But why? What I mean, again, we don't need to tie player development and league development to big, massive corporate sponsorship and, and to big leagues that charge, you know, a league fee to get into the league. We don't need to do that to, to make a women's program work across our country. We need people to get together and say, listen, what's it going to cost to get a commissioner in? Great. Let's do it. Let, let's start a league. Yeah. Done. Honestly, well, I, I mean, that's what Sally said last week, right? Just start yeah. the conversation. Just get yeah, it yeah. going. Yeah. So that, that's, that's where my mindset is guys. Why, why wait? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure we could talk about this for forever, 
but uh, we've we've reached that time. We got we got to stop now, or we're going to go on for three hours. So uh, quickly, <laughs> go around the horn. JP, you start. Where can we find you online? Uh, Jeff underscore Paulus, um, just on Twitter. And and we should maybe spend a bit of time in the next show um, on the on the women's game and really do it a good yes. service here because yes, um, yeah, we, we need to push this. Uh, every every footballer in in this country should be pushing a women's league. Yeah, Sally. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff D. Salisbury. Uh, you can always find me in the different CPL chat groups on, on Facebook and the Voyageurs group on Facebook. Uh, I'm on uh, the CPL Discord or the Canadian Soccer Discord really is what it should be called at this point. Uh, and I love that uh, that uh, around the horn call there, Gray. That was invoking some Rob Noten boom for a moment. <laughs> Well, if I could, if I could be half the podcaster Rob is, then I think we've got something here, boys. So, uh, yeah, I mean, can... next episode, you're going to be chiming in all the time, I guess, or something. Eh? You know, when, uh, when Jeff had that freeze earlier in the show, I think we probably should have went to Rob first. <laughs> <laughs> we got the wrong Sasky kid. Yeah, uh, apparently. Yeah. Well, it's same shame that we have two Jeffs on this show because it gets it, confusing. It throws me for a loop, boys. Cause boys, I want to be like, Hey you. Jeff, talk about this. That's why we messed yeah. up earlier. But um, yeah. anyways, you can find me at Grayson Knutson on Twitter. Follow us at the Cynical Chow one on Twitter. That's the podcast podcast handle. Uh, search us at the Cynical Challenge on YouTube. Uh, we're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the whole nine yards. And again, don't be shy to comment. Tag us in stuff. Let us know what you think we should talk about as well. Tell us we're idiots, whatever. We don't care. We can take it. Jeff's heard a lot worse. Both of you. Uh, so we'll get together. I, I have definitely heard a lot worse, Grayson. <laughs> Most, mostly from the foot soldiers. Um, yeah. Hey, hey, can we also just one more shout out? Someone hey. made a lot of comments about, um, you know, NASL versus USL and all the big problems there. Mm. Uh, if that individual wants to know what really happened in NASL, call me. I was in it. <laughs> so That's so true. I can tell you the real story, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Goodness. Well, next week, let's... Uh, catch up on some cpl news and then we'll we'll try to dive deeper into why a div two women's league is so important how's that sound guys love it yep all right see you then cheers see you everybody